I'm going to ask you this morning. What is truth? What is truth? That's not rhetorical. Just take a minute and ask yourself, what, what is truth? Now, I know you're saying truth about what, Pastor Scott? No, no. What is truth? What do you know to be true this morning? It's so important for us to understand what truth is about. Because if we don't know what truth is, then we, we miss so much in life, so much meaning and understanding in life. And you miss Christ when you don't know what truth really is and how important it is that every struggle and battle that you face is really grounded in your ability to understand what truth is this morning. So as we dive into God's word, will you pray with me? The Lord would reveal to us what truth is. Father in heaven, show us what truth is. Show us what it is. Father, if we can enlarge our prayer, I guess we would say, show us the Father. Show us the Son. Reveal to us through your Holy Spirit where truth comes from, what, what consists, what exists inside of truth. Lord, show us truth this morning that we might compare ourselves to this truth and realize the things that we must change and need to change and desire to change as we look upon truth. Teach us this morning, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is truth is what Pontius Pilate replied to Jesus when Jesus was talking to him and his response about the kingdom. Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus does one of those things where he doesn't give you an answer, he gives you a question or two. And so here, Pontius Pilate is trying to figure out what this man's talking about. And what he says to him is this. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate is thinking, this guy went all philosophical on me. I'm just trying to understand if you're a king or not. And what he doesn't realize is that Jesus was telling Pilate, in fact, he was a king, but that his kingdom was a kingdom of truth. I need you to understand this morning that spiritual warfare is a battle over truth. That Jesus has a kingdom of truth that is a spiritual kingdom and every other kingdom against the truth is a spiritual war in progress. And so what we really come down to seeing is simply this, is that a spiritual battle has to do with the truth. What is truth? Jesus said, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Psalms 119, 160 says, the sum of your word, the law is truth. Spiritual warfare is a battle concerning the word of God. And therefore, this morning, the chief objective of spiritual warfare is the establishment of truth. I want to talk to you about a, a few things, probably just a couple things now this morning. And it's just that, is that the chief objective of spiritual warfare is the establishment of truth. And that truth demands, demands a biblical worldview. 
If we look at Paul's description of the armor of God this morning, the first thing we run into in Ephesians 6.14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. These, these are the weapons that we've laid out before us. There's six weapons that we can describe. Maybe some, uh, the seventh one we could maybe put into uh, Paul's arsenal as the lance of prayer. But really six ones that he labels out there in front of us. And the, the weapons that he chooses, this first one, this belt of truth, is considered to be a weapon. Now, I don't know about you. The belt was a weapon with me growing up, but I don't know about Paul in his day. And so when Jesus is, uh, um, is, is communicating to us all throughout Scripture about the truth of his word and that his word is truth, this is what he's speaking to. The reason why the belt is so important in Paul's description of a Roman soldier's armor is because the belt represents the very word of God. And so for us to understand that, we need to see how Paul sees this. In fact, if we look in, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, when he is one of the oldest books, or the oldest book that we find in Paul's uh, writings, and, and this was a very primary view of the, the Roman soldier's armory is very limited. And as he's had this revelation of God, he begins to see it unfold and reveal to him. And Paul has now been able to describe exactly what each piece is and how it corresponds to spiritual weaponry. And so as we see this morning, as that he calls the belt, uh, the loin belt, truth. And that truth being the word of God, what is exactly, what does he mean by that? Well, if you if you were a Roman soldier, you would know that your belt is the most important thing you put on. Now, it's funny because you and I, when we look for spiritual weaponry, we might be impressed by uh, the sword or the massive shield that they held. Uh, or, in fact, the, the, the headdress that they had, the big helmet they had, it had these huge plumes of horse hair. Sometimes were 12 feet long. And so when we look at this Roman soldier, we were so impressed. But the one thing we did look at and go, well, look at that belt. You know what I mean? Like nobody looks at you this morning and says, Pastor Randy, you got such a great belt on this morning. We would talk about, we would talk about the, uh, the jacket or the tie or something else. But, but this is, incredibly enough, this is the one thing that's the most important thing to a soldier. And the reason why is because he understood that the belt is the one thing that holds it all together. You see, if you're going to be a good soldier, you got to know that the belt is the one thing that holds it all together. You can't be a good soldier if you don't have the belt of truth on. Because there's a lot of things that rested on this belt of truth. In fact, if you got that picture, go ahead and show that. I want to describe a couple things to you. Now, this loin belt will go right over the growing area. And then we had two different buckles where things were tied to. On the right-hand side, my right-hand side over here, you'll see that there is a notch and that is where a sword would go. But also, over here on the left-hand side, you would see almost like a, a, um, uh, some sort of an attachment there. I don't even know what you call that thing. I'm sure some people are more mechanically inclined than I am to know exactly what that is. But, but that is where your shield would rest. So you would have a sword on your left-hand side because most men were right-handed and want to grab that sword and use it. And the shield was on the right-hand side right there on, on that buckle. And so what's important about that is, is um, the, the Word of God would support or this belt would support these other attachments. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about the breastplate, which was that of righteousness. When a soldier would put on his breastplate, his armor, it would have a natural V-shape. It, it had circles at the top, 
uh, with brass rings, and he would slide it in uh, under, over his head, and as it would hit his body, it would naturally V out. And the problem with that is, is that it would open up. You would have these open sides, uh, these areas that would be exposed. But also when he ran or when he marched, this thing would flap. And can you imagine trying to fight with this thing flapping? It would hinder him. And so without this belt, it would not, it would not, be, uh, it would not be snug to him. It would not connect with him. And most importantly, it would allow this, this breastplate to open up and allow weaknesses. So here's what we see here in terms of Scripture talking about the loin belt of truth. The Word of God is so important because your righteousness is always flapping and always loose and not trying to be where it's supposed to be when it's not grounded in the Word of God. It's difficult. It's power. Like, like, like. All day long, you're trying to put righteousness back on, put righteousness back on, put it back on. But the problem is, 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 is because if you're, if you're in the Word of God, if you're in the Word of God, then you know where your righteousness is grounded and rooted. And if not, then we're stuck to a problem of trying to, to live up to rules and outside the relationship of God. But if we'll understand that righteousness is in Christ, but that righteousness is hung on the very knowledge of God's Word, we will find ourselves fighting more battles and not fighting ourselves, trying to put our righteousness together. Paul says this same thing in Scripture. He says in Hebrews 5.13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, what is Paul saying here? He says because you refuse to develop your understanding of God's word, you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. You know you have righteousness, but you have a hard time applying it to your life daily. You struggle with condemnation. You struggle with the convictions of your life, and you're constantly trying to make your righteousness fit. But he says if you will skill yourself, if you'll get off the milk of God's word and dig into his word and learn, you'll find that that righteousness fits a whole lot better when you apply it using God's word. Our tendency when we don't use this is we get caught up in our rules. Rules help us make the righteousness fit better because we're doing the things we're supposed to do. But if you can just set those rules aside and allow the word of God to lead you and teach you and train you, those things will be natural to you. And we won't fight so much trying to put our righteousness on and keeping it together. The other thing was the shield. This shield was, was so desperately dependent on this belt. Because the shield was a large shield. The shield represents our faith. And this shield was about 30 pounds. And, and as you know, Roman soldiers marched great distances and they carried their shields with them. And so can you imagine carrying a shield Miles at a time, holding a 30-pound shield, this big, awkward thing. It's constantly hitting your shins, and, and you're having to keep it hoisted up. And as you're walking, after a while, your arm gets fatigued. And when it comes time for the battle, you're so tired because you've been carrying this heavy shield. It would be so much better if you had somewhere just to rest that shield on and just hold it close. But if your shield had something to rest on, like the belt that it did, then it would fit so much better. It would feel so much lighter. And when you needed it, it would actually be there. And what you don't understand, or maybe you do, is that your shield is your faith. And how many of you know that faith gets heavy sometimes? When you carry faith a long time and through many battles, that thing gets heavy. And if you could just have something for your faith to Rest in. 
That you wouldn't have to spend all your energy trying to muster through every single battle and every single foe. That belt would allow the soldier to stay fresh so that when the battle did come, he was ready to charge. He was ready to go in. But when we carry our faith, and how many of you know that some of us need some big shields because we need some big faith to, mar- to march through some, some, some big enemies. And so I would tell you this morning that the larger your shield needs to be, the larger your faith needs to be, the more you need to have that belt on. The more it needs to rest on that belt. We know that Romans ten seventeen tells us this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our faith comes from the very words of Christ. In other words, just as our shield rests on our belt, so does our faith rest on the word. We must need that. And if we don't have that, if we get tired, what happens is, is that now we have a shield that's too heavy and a faith that's too large. And eventually we become so fatigued that we lay down our shield because it's gotten too heavy and we try to fight on our own. But that's just the enemy, what the enemy wants us to do. It's to lay down our faith because we're so tired of carrying it. But if we would rest on the word of God, we would be good to go. The, the other thing was the sword. The sword was right there where the clip was. It was attached and it was there to keep it close. Now, now he did not oftentimes use the sword. The sword was used just for a moment. Most times he would use the shield and he would use his lance and his attack. But there was times where it was a close quarter. He would need to reach down there and grab that sword and use it just for a moment and put it back in. And the word of God is so skillful when it talks about that sword that's attached to the word. Because he says, Ephesians 6, 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But that word is not what you and I think when we read the word of God. In fact, that word is not the logos word. It's not the written word of God. It is the rhema word of God. And that rhema word means the revealed word of God. Now, I knew that, but I've never seen this before. As I was searching through where else in Scripture does the word rhema appear, I found this one. I thought, how interesting. We know that Jesus is the the word of God. He is the logos. We find in Luke 2.15, I don't think I have it on, on the overhead, but it says this, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when it says, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, the word is rhema. Jesus was always the Logos word. But now he had come down from heaven and became the rhema word. He was the revealed word. He was a word, for, uh, a word from the Lord in a season. And what we see is simply this, is that that sword is so important because you and I, sometimes we just need a word for the season right then and there. But notice this, is that your word for the season is drawn out of the written word of God. If you'll just stay in the written word of God, you'll always have a rhema word of God when you need it. And so we, we have to make sure that we are tied in and understanding how important this lawn belt truth is. One of the things that I read in history, it says that when Roman soldiers were marching, you could hear the, 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 the metal or the brass on the front would, would begin to uh, shift and hit each other. And you'd hear this, this chime, almost like a, a high-pitched clap. And as they begin to march in unison, it said that, that many people were afraid. They were fearful just because of the sound of the belts clasping against each other. And so when I thought about that, I thought, how awesome is that? 
that when the church of God marches in truth and in unity, that literally the enemies are fearful because they know we can only march in one thing that has power and his word has power. His truth has power. But not just walking in power. We have to walk in a unified power. And the other thing about the belt I thought was so unique was simply this, was location. Location, location, location. Now, I don't see anybody here this morning with the belt wrapped around their forehead. No, looks like y'all know what to do with it. But imagine putting your belt around your forehead. Imagine putting your belt around your arms or your, or your feet. How would that help you? But there was a certain place for the belt to go, and that belt, that word of God, that truth will always belong in the center of a man. Always belong in the center of a man. Did you know that the strongest aspect about you is the center of who you are? That your hips, that when you throw a punch, the, the punch comes from the hips. That when you lift, it comes from the hips. Everything about you, that the strongest aspect of who you are comes from the center of who you are. And the Lord is saying, if you'll clothe the center, the most strongest aspects of yourself with truth, you will be as strong as you'll ever need to be. And everything that relies or rests on you will rest on the truth that you know. And so it's important for us to understand that we must apply the truth of God's word. We must make it the center of ourselves. And as we're we're talking about being the center of it all, let me just say is that if we're going to embrace God's word, if we're going to understand his truth, if it's going to be the center of us, it must also be the center of our worldview. The word of God must be the center of our worldview. You say, Pastor Scott, that's silly. Christians, that's why we're Christians. The, the truth of God's word is at the center of our worldview. Eh, not really. Barna, research study says in church in 2017, 2017, not too long ago, said that 51% of Protestant pastors only believe in a biblical worldview. Only 51% of pastors believe in a biblical worldview. And of that, rest of that whole um, uh, demographic, it says that 7% of Protestant believers possess a biblical worldview. And then, and then if you take out the kids, it's only 5% of adults of Protestant believers. That means believers who call Christ Lord and Savior that are not Catholic, Protestant believers, only 5% of them, evangelicals, 5% of adults believe in a biblical worldview. And you say, well, Pastor Scott, what is a biblical worldview? Well, let me tell you, in case you don't know. This is what we believe. There is no negotiation in this. These are the absolutes. If this is not your absolute, you're in the wrong faith. Pray God reveal it to you. A biblical worldview is simply this. It is the belief that God's word is authentic, accurate, and infallible. There is no error in it ever, never. That means that when you come to Scripture and you read something and it's contradictory here and it's contradictory here, that means that you've not interpreted it correctly. The word is never wrong. It is never wrong. Therefore, it is to be obeyed by man always, without exception, ever. It is the belief that God's word is accurate and communicating the origin of the world. That God created the world as spoken in Genesis and it's done. 
That's exactly how it started. But there must be something. No, that's exactly how it started. Why? Because the creator has the right to tell us how it started. He is the author. It is also the belief that sin separates mankind from God and that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. It is also the belief that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, performed miracles, died on the cross of our sins, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and one day will come with his, with his Father to rejoice over us and gather us and take us back home. That's who Jesus is. Not a prophet. Not Muhammad's best friend. None of those things. He is the only God. There is no other gods. It is the belief in the literal existence of Satan. It's not karma. It's not bad luck. Now, there is some bad luck. We might call that coincidental. But there is a literal Satan. He does not like you. I would dare say he hates you. He does hate you. You represent everything that he wished he could be. I can't get into the theology of that right now, but just know that he does not like you worshiping because he used to be the one that brought all the worship. He does not like you. And that he is the responsible party for the fall of man is at war against the church and its faith and opposes what God wants to do in this world. It is the belief that salvation is by grace through faith and there is only one way for a person to go to heaven and that is by accepting Christ and his as his or her personal savior. That your works don't get you there. It is the belief that all men will face the judgment of God for their works. That those who have accepted Christ as their Savior will be saved. And those who reject Christ will be damned. That is the belief. And it is also the belief that there is a literal heaven and a literal hell. And you will spend eternity in one of those places. It's a shame that 95% of so-called Christians don't believe God's word is true. They don't believe those things. These were the things that Barna asked people. And only 51% of pastors agreed with that wholeheartedly. Only 5% of believers agreed with that without question. That hurts my heart. And then when I hear people say, oh, I just need God to do things for me. I need him to heal me and save me and, and, and provide for me and protect for me. And all of these, <laughs> I'm thinking, how is it? How is it that you can't ascribe to the very understanding of what a biblical worldview is and still yet hope that scriptures will still work for you? How is that possible? When we don't ascribe to the whole truth, we don't, we, we, we don't get the benefits of a partial truth. It doesn't work that way. In fact, let me, just, let me just back up and clarify something here. Spiritual warfare is over the establishment of truth. That means that right now there is a war going on. There's not a war going on because there's a bad day for you. There's a constant struggle over your salvation, a constant struggle over your, your healing, a constant struggle over your provision, over your peace, over your freedom. Constantly struggling for you. Constantly trying to define to you what the truth is. How can you allow yourself to fight 
the battle spiritually when you don't attest to the real truth? How can we claim the truth of God's word in the midst of a spiritual battle when we don't trust all of God's word to be completely God's word? I think, Lord, help people. Because for me, I got some things I want to hold on to. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this last, this, this little section right here, and then we're going to open the altars, altar up and, and, and pray. Because I feel like this is what the Lord wanted to say to you today. I want to encourage you that if you believe in Christ, there are truths for you that you can hold on to. There is a word for you that you can hold on to. And I want you to understand is that everything that is, that is opposed to what I'm about to say is a lie. And you need to recognize that and realize that, that that lie is trying to be established in your life as the truth. But that's why we wage with spiritual weapons to establish the truth of God's word in our life. Concerning salvation, here's what you need to know. Ephesians says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Notice this. He says, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, not able to do anything on our own. He made us alive together with Christ. It's not what you're doing. It's what he is doing. So this salvation that you and I have, when the enemy comes to you and says, you know you're not saved, you know you're not living for the Lord, you know you can just come back to him and say, you know what, the word tells me that when I was dead and didn't know I needed him, he came to me on his own. He came to me out of his love and not my desperation. He knew I wasn't going to look for him. That's why he found me dead in my sin. Because of his great love and mercy, he saved me. Titus says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So every time you get that lie in your mind, I can't come to church. I've not been living good. I've not been living right. I've not been doing the things I'm supposed to do. Stop. Because he says, not according to your works, but according to his righteousness, his Mercy. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God to save everyone who believes. My only response is that I believe this morning. That's all I got to do. I don't have to justify. I don't have to walk through penance and all these different things of ritual or ceremony. I just got to come and say, Lord, you know who I am. You know I can't do it on my own. But I believe that you are who you say you are. And that's enough, then receive me. And he says, by grace, through your faith, I'll save you. Maybe when I'm in need of his healing hand, 1 Peter 2.24 says this, by his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds. I love that because it was his wounds that I didn't request him of. I didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, can you go? And, 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 be, and be wounded for my healing, I'm going to need some healing. No, he already knew that I was going to be sick. He already knew I might struggle with a disease. He already knew that I might struggle with cancer. And he saw down the road and saw you and your position and your situation and said, I'm going to take stripes for that. I'm going to take, I'm going to take some wounds for that. 
because he was thinking about you. Psalms 107.20 says the same thing. He sent out his word and healed them. That, that the word of God is the very thing that can heal you. That's why it's so important for you to know your word. Because it's his word that heals you. So when you're sick, when you're fighting that battle, whatever illness or terminal disease that you might have, step back, get into the word and say, Lord, you, you said in your word that your word would heal me if you send your word. And the Lord says, I'll watch over my word to perform it. You just got to go right back to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what you said. This is not what I said. This is what you said. And I'm claiming your word this morning. Don't let the enemy establish the doctor's lie in your ear. Know what the word of God says. Reconcile the problem. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? The word of God is the definitive truth. It is what it says it is. We must come to it and believe it without any hesitation. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, who, who was dead, he was dead, he was gone, right, dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. This ain't a spiritual camp here we're talking about. We're talking about your real flesh and blood problems that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead do you know they didn't want Jesus to come back from the dead if there ever was a battle in hell it was over Jesus getting up from the grave I guarantee you they fought everything that they could fight but in the end it was the power of the Holy Spirit that said up up and I wish we would get that in our mind and realize that when we get sick and when we get terminal, we would say, Holy Spirit, speak to my body and say, up, get up, get up. Because your word says so. Or maybe there's times in your life when you lack provision. Psalms 34.9 says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. That you have no lack. The question is, is do I fear him? If I fear him, I would walk in his ways. I would honor his word. Philippians says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Where does that come from? According to his riches. Not, not my lifestyle, not my sacrifices, just my obedience. If I walk in him and I'm in relationship with him, then everything that I need is found in his riches and, and glory in Christ Jesus. Psalms reminds me, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I ain't got no reason to want. Because everything I need is found in him. Psalms goes on to say this. My grandpa used to say this all the time to me. We, we, we'd be out giving out food and doing things. And I'd say, Grandpa, why do you feed people all the time? And, and my grandpa would look at me as most serious he can be. And he says, here's the reason why, Scott. He goes, because I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor received begging bread. It was almost as if he was trying to punch it into the death of my soul. It's because I've never seen the righteous forsaken, Scott, or received begging bread. When I'm feeding other people, I'm feeding myself. And so Scripture reminds us. That I've never, never seen that righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Or maybe about protection. Maybe when danger threatens and you need some scripture, you need something to hold on to when it comes down to protection. You need that word of God to, 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 to armor you up. Isaiah says this, that when you pass through the waters, 
I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Psalm says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not what? Fear. Psalms also says, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. These aren't cute Bible stories. This is the word of God. I can stand all day on it. And everything that says other than that is a lie. It is a lie. The world doesn't want you to know that. How can we claim, how can we claim these, these promises for ourselves when God says, you've summoned me this morning. You've called me. In my hand is power and grace. In my hand is provision. In my hand is mercy. In my hand is what you've called for this morning. The reason why God can say those things is because he's already attested to those things. He's showed us already that he's trustworthy, that he's faithful. That he's believable, that he's that he can be counted on. Maybe in your life you're looking for some peace. Isaiah says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Psalm says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And Philippians says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understand how many times have you been in a place where you didn't understand but somehow the peace of God said yep that's the right way yep that's the right thing yep that's the right thing to do that peace of God is so important my whole life has been wrapped around this idea of peace because when I ask God Lord I need to know what your will is the Lord has always and consistently said Scott seats Seek for my peace and I'll show you my will. Because my will and my peace are synonymous. I am a single God. I am indivisible. That means that when you find my peace, you'll find my will. And if you want my will, then search for my peace. And so I'm always looking. I'm always looking for for the peace of God. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Mm. Peace of God surpasses all understanding. Well, guard your hearts. Well, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As the worship team comes up, the last thing I want to put out there is simply this. Sometimes in our life, we need some freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, oh, there is freedom. There's no question in that. There is freedom. John tells us, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's no, there's no discussion about that. And Galatians 5 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. I'm standing on the word of God today. I'm standing on the word of God today. Nothing else matters. Even if I wake up in pain tomorrow, even if I wake up trouble tomorrow, even if I wake up without whatever I'm needing for, I'm praying for tomorrow, it does not change the truth of God's word. God's word is infallible. There's no error in it. Every single word in that word of God is right and functional and true and correct and reliable. And if I'm the only person in this world, which I know I'm not, that believes that everything in there is as if God himself spoke it. 
Because it is. It is. It is. He just, used, well, Pastor Scott, what about man? He just used man to color it along the way. But every word was penned by the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit penned it, it came from the heart of God. And if it came from the heart of God, it's trustworthy, it's reliable, and it's for me. It's for me. It's for you. What word do you need this morning? Church, what do you need this morning? Do you, are all your problems solved? I need that word so, so much every day. Every day. My problem is the words I, I beat myself up if I've not been in it and I fall, my, I find myself falling into rules and regulations and not realizing there's grace when I don't read. There's grace when I don't find a revelation or some sort of epiphany. Lord just wants me just to rest in his word. If you just read it and let it renew your mind. You know, the enemy wants to fill your mind with everything else to redefine your truth. That's the reason why Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, right? Whatsoever things are, are honorable, whatever, whatever's pure and lovely and commendable, if it's, if it's worthy of, uh, of praise, if, it's, if there's any excellence in it all. He says, think about these things because he understands that you and I, we have to meditate on those things because the enemy is constantly trying to slip his synthetic word into our life. Right. It may look the same. It may feel the same, but it won't function the same. There is no alternative for his word. As you stand with me this morning, I'm going to ask you, as we open up the altars, what word do you need? Because we clearly heard God say a while ago, it's in my hand this morning. It's in my hand this morning. I believe this morning he, he wanted me to continue because he wanted me to remind you that this is what his word says. Now, what do you have need of this morning? As I pray, and the worship team will begin singing. You can move now, you can move later. But if you have need of that word this morning, he says, come. I've come with what you need. Father in heaven, I pray first off before I ask anything, Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for a word that I could stand on in life. Many times God's storms blew, but there was always a rock that I knew I could lean on. Always something I could trust in. Something that never moved, something that never shifted. It was so dependable and so worthy. Even when the world seemed like they were against me, God, it was your rock that I stood upon. It was your truth. It was your word. It was the principles of your character, God, that lived out through my life. And I say thank you. Thank you for being everything I didn't even know I needed. But this morning, God, I come to you. I know there are those in here, Father, who right now they, they need your word. God, as I was preaching, Lord, I know, Holy Spirit, you, you begin to impart the word of God, the word of truth into them. 
And I pray, God, right now in this moment that we respond to your voice, respond to you, that we might come and find what you delightfully and lovingly give. Not because we've worked it up, not because we've earned it or deserved it, because a gracious, merciful God who gives so lovingly has something for what we need right now. I ask, Lord, you'd impart it into our lives in Jesus' name. And then would you come?